is is how the Lord prepares the message that I share with you all. And that is a bit of a story in and of itself this week. Uh, some of you know and maybe watched online or came on Tuesday night that, uh, that I taught uh, during Tuesday night prayer and, and led that. Um, so time was kind of already constrained with respect to that. And then uh, Chris Best asked me to teach a class yesterday in LFBI. And so, or, well, he had asked me in advance but asked me to teach a class yesterday in LFBI. And, um, and so my week was very busy. And the, the great thing, and I already joked with Jisung about it, the great thing was the class that I was asked to teach was a survey of First Timothy. And so the Lord worked that out. Obviously, we'd been in uh, and, and, you know, percolating and marinating in the book of 1 Timothy for a while now. Uh, I trust that the Lord worked that out. Maybe Chris saw or knew that I was doing that and uh, and thought it would be a, a good opportunity. But uh, I already apologized to Jisung to some degree because some of the, the concepts that we'll be seeing today, some of the, the aspects of the message will in fact be... Uh, for him, redundant, and for anybody else maybe that's in that class that wasn't uh, present on site. Uh, so to some degree, you're going to be getting a little bit of a glimpse into an LFBI course today, but also the Lord just brought some of those things to light, and I couldn't avoid them. I couldn't, um, you know, I, I, I just, I just, I, you know, he was working on me about them, so now I get the opportunity to, to share them with you. Uh, even yesterday when I was done, done teaching, Chris Miller came up and uh, approached me. He had listened to a portion of it, uh, and, and he indicated, you know, gave me a little insight that we're going to look at today. And uh, so it was just like the culmination of a lot of things coming together. And I told Michelle last night when, when you know, we were wrapping up the night going to bed that I didn't really feel like I was there yet. And I that's really hard for me because that's a point at which you could potentially I could potentially be doing it in the flesh and I don't want to do this in the flesh I want the Holy Spirit to teach I don't want to just do a mechanical study and present it to you and hope that the Holy Spirit's involved I, I really want to know that the Holy Spirit is working on me and is working in preparation for you all and and woke up this morning not that I'm some dreamer of dreams but I woke up with this morning with a few tweaks to the message that I needed and had that peace about um, about whatever it was that 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 the Lord not needed to kind of put the capstone on and then even to hear Dell's message this morning several of the same topics that he was talking about this morning uh, we're going to talk about maybe packaged just a little bit differently does anybody by chance have Dell's the points the the so could you read the first three uh, if you, oh, no problem. If you have the, the first three points in particular. Um, the first one was a biblical response consists of multiple decisions to follow Jesus. Right. So before you go to the second one, multiple decisions. So it's not just a one-time decision. And, and so one of the things that we're going to do as we go into this is I'm going to talk about uh, like kind of like we had relationship rules as we went through Hebrews 11. We're going to have discipleship decisions, and that was already baked into into my into my message. So, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, if you want to be taking these these steps in spiritual maturity, you're going to have a series of decisions. What was the second bullet point, or second point? Um, never underestimate God's power. 
but rather be comforted by his presence. By his presence, right? And so uh, we're going to talk about the way the Lord made himself present uh, to, to a degree with respect to Paul and his apostleship. And then the, the third point. Trust in the power of his name. Trust in the power of his name. And that's almost uh, not really verbatim, but it is it is the substance of one of the points that we're going to look at today. So I was really excited that, uh, that despite kind of, I don't mean this bad, I'm just trying to be transparent, trudging through the week, trying to get things ready, that the Lord showed up. And that is enough for me, right? That's enough to know that I'm doing at least my part by getting out of the way. Uh, to the extent that I can, right? So, um, so today, you know, go ahead and turn to First Timothy. It's important that we start there. First uh, Timothy. Well, there are a few verses that we'll need to look at. And did everybody get a, a copy of the the notes or the handout? If you okay, so we're good there. First <clears throat> Timothy, and we'll get through two whole verses today, and and that's okay. Uh, we have. Uh, you know, plenty of time ahead of us to get through through the rest of the book. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God and our Savior and the uh, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's really what that's the what we're going to get covered today. And and so first we're going to talk about. Um, Oh, sorry, I guess I could have pulled up the verses. We're going to talk about the apostolic authorship being established. Now, apostolic is just another way of saying it was written by an apostle, right? Paul declares himself as an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, what have we been talking about the last few weeks with respect to Paul and Timothy's relationship? Does anybody remember? What's what does what's he liken it to mostly? Timothy was a direct witness to his direct mission. To right. The, the right. So he he had been part of his fruit, right? But I think somebody was going to say father like son, like a father son type relationship, and he actually does refer to him in verse two, my own son. But what else? They they, what else did they do together? Like. Yeah, they did ministry. They did mission trips together. Like literally this would be like you signing up for a two-by-two trip and you going with someone on a mission trip and then that person coming back and writing you a letter and saying, Dear Tina, Mitchell Dobson, fellowship leader. Well, I mean, that kind of doesn't even make sense. Why would Paul write to his own son in the faith a guy he probably led to the Lord, or at least possibly led to the Lord, the dude circumcised Timothy. <laughs> Remember? I mean, there's very little about Timothy that Paul doesn't know, if you catch my drift. They're, like, they have a depth of relationship that is pretty significant. Yet he starts by saying, Paul, an apostle. Well, there, that's there for a reason. Like if we believe that wor- the, the words of Scripture matter, Paul doesn't just address it by starting as Timothy, my son. He starts with this apostleship concept. Now the Greek word for apostle means sent one. Okay, It means sent one. Now it's interesting because this is more than a missionary. 
right? We would refer to a missionary as a sent one. There's more to it. To be an apostle, you had to meet one of three criteria. Or I'm sorry, you had to meet all three of these criteria, not just one. You had to meet all three. You had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. According to 1 Corinthians 9.1, it says, Paul said, wrote, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? So the disciples, the 12 disciples who become apostles, part of the reason they're called apostles are because they were sent ones, but they were sent ones because they... Um, uh, they were sent ones and they had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is in a special class as being an apostle himself. He witnessed Christ on the road to Damascus, right? So, and, and other encounters. And then you have to be expressly chosen by the Holy Ghost. Expressly chosen by the Holy Ghost. Acts 9.15 said, says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. So obviously that's about around the time that Paul is, is saved and, and getting established and, and protected in, you know, in those early days of his salvation. So as that happens, the Holy, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit puts his stamp of approval on Paul. So it's more than just a missionary. It's some, a missionary who has seen the Lord. It's one that has been expressly chosen by the Holy Ghost for a specific purpose and has the ability to perform signs and wonders. Acts 2, verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. People today in some churches may refer to themselves as apostle so-and-so or brother so-and-so the apostle. Honestly, according to scriptural criteria, they don't meet the definition of an apostle. They might be a missionary, but they are not an apostle. And Paul throws this flag in the sand in his very first, very first, right after he wrote Paul, comma, an apostle. I mean, that's kind of important. So there, we have this definition, but if you look at the next point here, examples, there are some examples of those who are sent in Scripture but are not apostles. So I'm not just defining it by who is an apostle. I'm also showing you who is not an apostle. Look at Titus. Now, well, before we look at the verses, on the screen, you'll see some words are bolded and underlined. These two words that are bolded and underlined, messengers, are the same Greek word, apostle, okay? But the King James, the same Greek word, but the King James translators translated them as messengers because they understood the special criteria of being an apostle, okay? So the King James translators, when they saw it, they realized and they honored the fact that not everybody is an apostle. Paul was an apostle. The other 11 disciples were apostles, right? But look at this. Titus in 2 Corinthians 8.23. Whether do any inquire, uh, inquire of Titus, he is my partner, fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren uh, be inquired of. They are the messengers of the churches 
and the glory of Christ. So these other people are referred to kind of by the same Greek word, but they're referred to as messengers, people who have a message that needs to be sent. Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, Yet I suppose it necessary to send unto you, or send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. Right? He's not your apostle, he's your messenger, and that he and he that ministered to my wants. So literally, the folks from Philippi sent Epaphroditus with a message. So they, he was sent, but he's not an apostle. Now look at the others that are sent in Scripture, at least a couple others, and they're not referred to as apostles. Barnabas, in Acts 13, 2 and 3, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. There's, even though Paul's on that team, they don't call the team the apostolic team. Paul is referred to as an apostle, but not Barnabas. Antichicus in 2 Timothy 4, 12. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. So if, 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 I, if I get a call from Sam later today, because I'm assuming Sam's still in some aspect of recovery. If I get a call from Sam today and he says, Mitch, I want you to go to Boston and deliver a message to me. Because the internet's not working or something. The phones, I, I don't know. So, like, for some reason, he wants me to go to Boston. And I pick, you know, I pack up my stuff in a little bag, and I get on a plane, or I get in my car, and I drive to Boston. Am I not a sent one? Well, of course I am. Sam asked me to go. He said, go do this. And I said, yes. But it doesn't make me an apostle. Even if Andrew, who was standing here just a few minutes ago, packs up his whole life... And goes to Vietnam, Lord willing, hopefully that works out. Praise the Lord either way. But when he goes, he'll be a missionary, but not an apostle. He'll be a sent one, sent to Vietnam for a purpose, but not an apostle. You say, Mitch, I feel like you're wasting a lot of our time. It's precious time. Why would this be important? Well, A, Paul thought it was important to hit it right off the bat. And look at this. And this is where I think if this is going. Why would Paul refer to himself as, a, uh, as an apostle to Timothy? In the book of 1 Timothy, he says he references a commandment three times. He references a charge six times. He exhorts him two times. And he says, I will, but in the sense of it is my will that this happen. He's setting a tone. He's declaring that this letter to his dear friend, his brother in the Lord, who he has spent a ton of time with, has an immense amount of ministerial trust in. He addresses him by saying, hey, I'm Paul the Apostle, because he's got some things he needs to set straight. And he wants Timothy to know and have the kind of the backing of big brother. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But he wants Timothy to be able to hold up the letter and say, the apostle Paul said. So it's clearly that he's, that again, he's setting this tone, but he's, he's meaning for this to, to, to set the tone 
for a public ministry. Now, I meant to mention there is a parenthetical behind um, behind uh, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ, on your page, right? We'll get to that. I, I should have told you we're, we're skipping that. That's a later slide. So we'll come back to that. All right, but he's setting a tone here. All right, he's setting a tone. And it's not really for Timothy, it's for the church, okay? By the commandment of God our Savior. There's the second parenthetical blank that we'll get to in a moment. But look at this, the commandment of God our Savior. Romans 16, if you want to turn there, Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. Um, I've got a, a snippet there on the screen, but I want to get to the whole thing. Romans Come on. Romans 16, 25, 26 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of, G of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept, uh, kept secret rather since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith so there's this intimate tie between the commandment and look at the preceding phrase the scriptures of the prophets not just the words of the prophets, but the scriptures of the prophets. Okay? Now look at Titus 1.3. Another book, that epistle that, that Paul wrote. God but, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So again, there's this intimate tie between the commandment of God, the first one was the uh, the um, scriptures of the prophets. The second is manifested through his word through preaching. And in Titus 2, 15, these things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. This commandment and authority are the same word. Let no man despise me, or despise thee, excuse me. The word needs to be preached. The word needs to be preached. Again, I, you might even be getting a glimpse into why I was, I, guess, I don't want to use the word struggling, unsettled in my heart because these are simple concepts. I was kind of kind of struggling with, wow, it's just, it's just kind of like right there and, and shouldn't I bring more? Well, no, I think what we needed to hear today was that Paul needed to lay down some rules and he did so by writing first timothy and the second the key of the commandment is by the word being preached that is that's how the commandment goes forward that's how it, that's how it gets done and then the third is according or which is our hope right so if you're back in first timothy back in first timothy Paul addresses it straight up by saying, first, an apostle of, the, of Jesus Christ, an apostle by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. 
which is our hope. Paul absolutely loves the word hope. He uses it 41 times in 34 verses across all of his epistles. There's a, there's a tangible, it's even in 1 Corinthians 13, right? What are the three things that remain? Faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of them are charity, but he loves the concept of hope. I mean, he loves to think about what's coming because he's interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 4 to 5 says, and patient, so he goes, well, actually go there. So you probably just left Romans, sorry. We're just going to flip back and forth between Romans and 1 Timothy. Romans chapter 5, start actually back up a little bit um, in verse, uh, uh, we'll start verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There he does again. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, uh, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. How does it make it us not ashamed? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I mean, that whole concept is very circular. It starts with hope and ends with hope. Hope is a key, key component in Paul's ministry. In Romans 8, 24, he says, For we are saved by hope. Wow, that's kind of interesting wording. We're actually saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he hope for? Like literally one aspect of your salvation, if you're saved this morning, is the fact that you're putting your faith in a Savior who went to the cross and resurrected and you didn't get to see any of that. You literally are saved by faith, right? By grace, through faith, right? So faith is a key component of the equation of salvation, and that is a reflection of hope. It's a reflection of hope. So this brings us to kind of our first, uh, our first uh, discipleship. Or I'm sorry. Here's your here's your uh, here's your blanks. So look at the look at the way this plays out. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ which happened in the past, those qualifying events happened way before 1 Timothy, right? By the commandment of our Savior, he's writing scripture, he's communicating what Timothy needs to do in the church at Ephesus, the present, which is our hope, the future. Which is our hope, uh, which is the, uh, our hope, the future. So those are those three kind of parenthetical underlined areas. We have a past that we can trust in. We have a present that we can trust in. And we have a future that we can trust in. When you start to see scripture at that level and you start to break scripture down, you will see patterns that jump out with amazing beauty. And this kind of the second half of our message today is another pattern that we're going to see. And it's gorgeous that Paul... Uh, so, so modern, we, we've kind of lost this in modern speech writing. 
So I'm actually going to go back even a few presidents because our current president, based on what day it is, is not a very good speech giver. Okay? And I'm just talking from an orator standpoint, right? He has trouble finishing a complete sentence. If you read a transcript of his of his speeches, they're like choppy, right? And I'm not even talking about the positions, I'm just talking about the way he speaks. Even the previous president was a little more smooth, but if you go back a few years, and I'm talking a few years, Arguably, Kennedy or maybe Reagan were the last real good orators. Were the last real, so so people remember. I'm going to say a, a, a statement, and you most of you all, no matter your age, will probably be able to finish it. Ask not what your country can do for you, but okay, because those kinds of statements use what is called parallelism, and they contrast. Don't ask what you what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It, our brains are wired that way, at least the Western brain, okay, is wired that way. Paul is actually using parallelism here by saying, this is where we've come from, this is where we are, and this is where we're going. And that creates a full complement right out of the gate for Timothy, right out of the gate. It's a very comprehensive approach, okay? So our first discipleship decision, will you submit to the authority in front of you? And I don't mean physically in front of you, that I'm not, that's not some passive aggressive play here, that will you submit to me, right? But you are going to be put in situations where you are going to have to submit to an authority in front of you. Timothy does it. Timothy's already done. Timothy at this point is probably in his mid to late 20s, possibly as old as, as his early 30s. But the dude has already proven that he will submit to the man of God. We already talked about it. The circumcision out of the gate was kind of a big deal, right? I mean, picking up, talking about Andrew picking up his family and leaving, and it's kind of a easy for a young person to do or a single person to do. Could you imagine being when you were 16 years old? Remember when you took your driver's test? Imagine a guy coming into town and saying, "I want you to leave your family for the rest, potentially for the rest of your life, and I want you to travel the world with me, sharing the gospel." Like that's how old Timothy probably was when he left with Paul. He was a young dude. I mean, that is just, that is mind-boggling to me. Timothy probably learned the amount of submission in his first, or probably, uh, let me restart my sentence over. He probably executed the amount of submission in his first few, li- uh, first few years of ministry life, his first few years of, of being saved, than most of us experience in our whole life. I mean, when leaders come to you and they ask you to do something, do you have to think about it? Do you have to kind of say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. I really want to pray. I don't want to, I don't want to overcommit. And, and I get it. We're busy. We have things. I do. I get it. Our schedule's crazy too. And, and you, shouldn't, you shouldn't commit to something you can't fulfill. I get it. But are you going to submit to the authority in front of you? And whether it's your time or other purposes. So this brings us to our second kind of section 
and it's and this is a horrible picture because I blew it up so big, but I thought it I thought it was a neat kind of representation. So this is not on your on your uh, on your handout at all. But these are the books of the Bible, the books of the New Testament, laid out in the order in which they appear in your Bible, which is not chronological. Okay. So over here you have the biographies of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have this transition book, the book of Acts, which goes from the end of Christ's life, his resurrection, his ascension, right? All the way up to the church being established. Then you have, excuse me, what are called the Pauline epistles. The Pauline epistles that go from Romans all the way over to Philemon. Then you have what's called general epistles, epistles that are written... Paul probably wrote the book of Hebrews, so again, this is not great. You know, the, the illustration breaks down. But James was written by James, Peter, First and Second Peter was written by Peter. So these are more about who wrote them rather than who they're to, right? And then you have the book of Revelation talking about prophecy. But there are three books toward the end of the Pauline epistles that are called the pastoral epistles. First and Second Timothy and Titus, and they're called the pastoral epistles because they give clear direction on how the mechanics of the church should go, right? They talk about how to install bishops, how to make sure they're qualified. They talk about deacons. They talk about um, older women, younger women, how the interactions should happen. They talk about church discipline. They talk about uh, a lot of practicalness associated with the church. But they also are great for the purposes of understanding anyone that wants to get into ministry. And again, our reflection here is maturing in ministry, right? Is maturing in ministry. So we're I, just for this purpose, we're going to talk about these three pastoral epistles for just a moment. And what's great, and this is a little bit complicated, so just bear with me. This is another thing I didn't have a whole lot of peace about until this morning, but just bear with me. In 1 Timothy 1-2, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, so we just read, that's the second verse, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. But notice in 2 Timothy, the second pastoral epistle, Paul says it almost exactly the same. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. So dearly beloved son versus my son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace. Almost exactly the same. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the difference? Yes, this is Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you look at the, the Greek texts that drive the translation of scriptures, that's how the words are laid out. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's four Greek words. There's four Greek words here. They go, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like Paul meant that when he wrote it that way. Look at the third pastoral epistle, Titus 1.4. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith. Almost exactly the same. Grace, mercy, and peace. Same three concepts from God the Father. And look at this. The Lord Jesus Christ. He does it again differently. That's got to be for a purpose. That's got to be Paul. Some scholars would say, well, I'm not sure if, the, if Paul wrote all these because they're different. Or maybe 
He's trying to communicate something in the different situations and for our edification even now. So we're going to talk about this grace, mercy, and peace in light of Jesus Christ our Lord, Christ Jesus our Lord, or our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. So the third point, if I'm not mistaken, that Dell had was trust in the power of his name. Literally, all three of these are his name. And each shows something a little different. Okay? Is it the same human, you know, man and God? Yes. But the words are in different order, and I believe they're for a purpose. Okay? So, look at this. Now, this is just the same same verses, stacked slightly different. Each of them, grace, mercy, and peace, appear in each of them. That's all the, the lines are pointing out, is that grace, mercy, and peace, in that order, apply to Jesus Christ our Lord, Christ Jesus our Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? All three concepts of grace, mercy, and peace apply. So this is going to bring us to it to this the shepherd's sufficiency. The shepherd's sufficiency. Timothy as the shepherd needed to hear about grace, mercy, and peace from Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? Jesus is the man, our peer, right? Our brother. He was tempted like as we are, right? He is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was on earth, man, endured that, and obviously the cross. He became a man, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Several verses we could have gone to. But he is a man. He's our peer. Yet he was also Christ, the Savior, which is our hope. Knowing uh, Romans 6, 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. So the Christ part is literally the fact that he could conquer sin and death. And then look at the Lord, the King, our God. First or Second Thessalonians three sixteen. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Look at this. The Lord be with you all. Christ can't be with you all. I'm sorry. Jesus can't be with you all. Jesus, as a peer, could be in one place at a time. He was bound by flesh, but the Lord, he's not bound. Right. He can, he, he's not bound by any of that. Now, obviously, that Christ sits on the right hand of the throne of God, he's no longer bound, or, you know, but it wasn't until those acts. So you should get, to, you should be to a point of, a, of an image that kind of looks like the Star of David. But what it is is actually two, di- or two triangles <laughs> that are flipped on each other on the, on the axis, okay? And so on one axis... I couldn't do color, so I'm sorry. You have a red triangle of of Jesus Christ and Lord. Jesus Christ and Lord. And on the other, on the blue uh, triangle, you have grace, mercy, and peace. 
And I spent a fair amount of time trying to, I guess I'll say, make this argument. So I apologize in advance if this comes across clunky at all. But generally speaking, generally, Jesus and Lord are tied to peace. Christ, the Lord, is tied to mercy. And Jesus Christ is tied to grace. It's not definitive. It's not all 100%. But when I took these words, these combinations of words, and looked them up in a concordance, the, there was at least a trend. A trend that I don't think we can avoid. Okay? That these relationships... Does, does Jesus have to do with mercy? Of course it does. Like you will find verses where Jesus is mentioned and mercy is mentioned. So it's not... And that's why I even struggled. It's probably more of a three-dimensional thing or something. I don't know. But I don't want these to... Uh, the fact that these are across from each other to imply that they don't, they don't connect. Okay? I actually at one point had additional lines and it got really wonky. Okay? But these... This alignment is generally what it looks like. Okay? Now, in the middle, you have a box, and it's just for a reference. I put the reference on the board, but you can just put the rep, the action, or I put the verse on the board. You can put the reference in the box. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 5. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. When you look at these six phrase concepts, Christ, Jesus, Lord, grace, mercy, peace, that is literally all you need. Any concept of anything else that you might think you need fits into one of those or some combination thereof. Even the word, Jesus. Okay? So, I know that's a little bit complicated, a little bit down in the weeds. It's not meant to be complicated. What it's meant to do, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you're not there. 1 Timothy chapter 1. In the first two verses, Paul is laying out a very clear pattern that I believe Timothy would have picked up on. That in verse 1, he was an apostle, past, commandment of God, present, and our hope, which is future. And then in verse 2, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, from the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he puts everything in verse 2 to remind Timothy, this is what you need for ministry. It is the foundation to be able to move forward in ministry. If you think you have anything else to be sufficient of, you're in trouble. And that brings us to our second discipleship decision. Discipleship decision. What do you rely on for ministry? And if it's anything other than grace, mercy, peace, or the Lord Jesus Christ, I, w I guess I would strongly encourage you not to. It will not last. Whatever you trust in. So what do you rely on for ministry? You need to make that decision. You need to say, and Dell even hit on that this morning as well. 
is he and he alone sufficient? I remember Mike talking about, Mike Renault talking about when Life Serial started as a fellowship, that he showed up, and I think the story goes that he had a surgery or a broken ankle or something, and he showed up and he worked his way all the way up into the, to the balcony to class, and no one else came. I've heard him tell that story personally, but I also heard it on the uh, on the podcast uh, and and um, on the postscript. And I haven't I haven't had that kind of experience here at Midtown, where it's kind of just been like, just God has to be my like. If nobody else shows up, like I'm okay with that. Maybe that'll happen someday. But that was really eye opening for me. That I have to trust that if I prepared this message, that if God had this really interesting series of, uh, of events that happened to me this week with the different things I had to prepare, and all of that was just for me, well, praise the Lord. I don't think it was just for me. I think, I think it was for us. I really do. But I have to approach ministry as the only one that I get sufficiency from is the Lord. And the only one that I'm going to give glory to is the Lord. Amen. Like, I like y'all, but you aren't getting his glory. Right? right? And I even like me. Maybe even more than I like y'all, based on the way I live. Right? I mean, right? I I do think, I feed me, but I don't know that I've ever fed anybody in here other than maybe my wife one time. At like, like cake at our wedding. I think I smashed cake, cake in her face and maybe like one or two other times where I've, I've fed her something. But I clearly, I clearly think about me because we're all, we're all creatures like that. You, you all think about you, but I can't take his glory. Like I don't, I can't steal it from him. So if I focus on his grace, mercy, and peace, and I focus on the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus the Lord, I think he did that on purpose. And I think it was for our edification. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the time today. Lord, you know my heart in it. You know how um, I sought your face trying to, uh, trying to understand, trying to assimilate it in a way that I felt was reasonable to present. Lord, I hope that I got out of the way or was obedient to the extent you asked me to be. And, uh, Lord, I thank you for Andrew coming in and just sharing his heart and for Dell's message this morning. I certainly don't feel worthy to even have people um, sitting and listening to me or being on Zoom listening to me. I don't. The things I have to share are really not that good. The only good that I have is just what you've given, and I'm just translating it. And so, Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you for the, the depth of your word. I thank you for how you were working between two men that knew each other so very well, so intimately, so had experienced so much ministry together, yet you chose to memorialize these very special comments, these very special words, so that we can be blessed by them and many others as well. We thank you, and Lord, just if there's any under the sound of my voice that don't have the understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they've never accepted Christ as their Savior, if they've never made that decision of putting their faith 
in the one who gave his uh, gave his life for their sins. Lord, I just pray that you would not allow them to be at peace, that you would just continue to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment so that we can deal with that, so that they can start from a foundation and they can start making these discipleship decisions in their life. And for those who already have made the, the decision of, of accepting your sacrifice and, and uh, choosing to be called your sons, uh, Lord, I pray that each one of us would follow you, would make um, the, de- de- the, the determination in our hearts to take the next step, whatever that is. And uh, I certainly don't know what it is, but we'll figure it out. And um, Lord, I, I trust you for it. I know that you want to do a great work in this in this fellowship, in this class, and I do just commend those that are uh, dealing with uh, with health issues uh, into your care and look forward to the days when we can fellowship and uh, together in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.